0: Peace and, peace and quiet. All right. Okay, today is Father's Day. wish all the fathers a happy Father's Day. Um, I don't know if you um, sent cards or even got cards this morning for Father's Day. I picked up a few um, at the... Um Kind of a, the card shop the other day, so if you're actually out of cards, I've got three here going at the end of the sermon. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're that disorganized. But they have these, a lot of the cards I looked at them, a lot of them have this sentiment of the best dad ever, which is what we're going to be looking at today. I've got this one here, very cute one with a little bear, and it just says, best dad on the front. And inside it says, dad, you're the best on Father's Day and always with love. I thought that was very cute. Um, i got this one here that said it very quickly, it's right on the front, it just said, world's best dad ever. I find this funny that they were mass-producing these, because it kind of like, well, really? How can you all be the best? But anyway, it said, world's best dad ever, and inside it's happy Father's Day. And this one here says, dad, you're the best. I could go looking all around the world, but it would take ages and quite a bit pricey too. And it would only confirm what I already know, the world's greatest dad is you. Have a totally fantastic Father's Day. So I don't know if you sent or received these cards, um, but the whole idea of Father's Day is actually, it kind of it connects with all of us. Because, from a, at least from a biological level, the only reason we're here is because we had a dad somewhere along the line. And I don't know what happens when you think about your father, or fathers in general, kind of what comes to mind. Is it kind of like, do you know your dad, or did you know your dad? If you did know your dad, was he? would you, call a, would you say well, he was a good dad, or maybe a not so good dad? Was he there at the time? Did he love you? Was he, did he love your mum? Was he around? Was he maybe present though, but absent was he present, but actually maybe he didn't act in a way that we would think was a good dad. And so we can have all these kind of images about our dad. I know for me, I had a good dad. And so I, have a, I had a positive kind of influence in there. He still loves my mum. He's still married to my mom. He still loves me. And uh, he's, you know I'm so thrilled uh, that he's in my life. But whatever your earthly experience of father was, whatever your earthly experience of dad is, the good news is, that I'm going to tell you today, is we can have the best dad ever regardless of what happened in your life to date, regardless of what your experience is, there's a dad in heaven who loves you and he's the best dad ever and he wants to know you and he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to kind of get to know you more and more. And if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read a story about this dad and we're going to look at some things about him. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15 and we're going to read um, a famous story that Jesus told about a bunch of characters but one of them in it is a dad and I want to look at this dad because in this story the dad represents God in heaven, our father and I want to look at some things about this dad and see how they kind of apply to us so you've got Luke chapter 15 we're going to start at verse 11 and I'm going to read a story that's commonly known as a prodigal son but we're going to be focusing on the dad today it says in verse 11 and he said this is Jesus there was a man who had two sons and the younger said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger all—sorry, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, "'Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son. "'Treat me as one of your hired servants.' And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf of him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, the big idea we're going to look at today is we have the best dad ever in God. And what we want to look at is five different things in this story about this best dad, dad ever, and hopefully we'll look at how they apply to us. So number one, the best dad ever is patient. The best dad ever is patient. The story begins, Jesus tells it, he says, is this youngest son? Anyone here the youngest of their, you know, their family? Yeah, we know what you're like. I'm just going to say that. I'm the I'm just saying that I'm the middle child, but you know, so I have a younger and an older brother, so I can identify with this in a self righteous way. I know what my younger brother's like, I know what my older brother's like, and I sat in the middle, right? Okay. But anyway, the youngest son, he shows his appalling behavior towards his father. He goes to him and says, Dad, I want the money, I want the inheritance, I want my half. I've got me and my brother. Your money is going to come to us, and we'll get half each. But I want my half now. And he he showed no patience in what he did because he wanted it now what was actually due to him would come at the death of his father he wanted what wasn't his because it actually still belonged to his dad his dad was still alive he's <laughs> like you're going to have the inheritance I'm still here and he also says saying, dad I want you dead because when you're dead I get your money is effectively what he's saying and so he kind of went to his, his father and his, his behaviour towards him was appalling it was presumptuous it was rude it was arrogant it was selfish And and he came up and he he just he thought thought the world revolved around him and he said this is what I want my kind of my sort of opinions what my direction I want to go in my life is the most important thing, and um, and we expect this for little children. I've got two little boys at home and they genuinely think in not a kind of arrogant way. They genuinely think the world revolves around them. I mean, it's kind of sweet sometimes, but they just think their little world, which exists in a very small thing, is just it's all about serving them and getting them right. But this guy had grown up, and he was still acting this way, and you'd hope that it kind of, you'd trained it out of them. And what does the father do? He shows an incredible amount of patience with his, with his son. It actually says he, he gave, he gave in to his demand. He actually let him do it. He showed this patience. And if this represents God with us, he, he, God is an incredibly patient God. I don't know if you've thought about this. We tend to think about God, we think about His holiness, we think about His sovereignty, we can think about more personal things like His love and His mercy and His grace, but actually He's incredibly patient with us. And the more you dwell on God's patience, the more you realize how amazing He is, because the Bible says the Lord is slow to anger. That's incredible patience. Sometimes, if you read old translations, it used words long suffering, which kind of, I think, really sum up His attribute. He, he suffers long with us. He suffers long. And if we think about our lives, if you think about the way you've lived, the things you've done, especially if you're a believer here and you've lived this life, you've probably made thing, commitments to God and said, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell my people, you know, my friends about you. I'm not going to do those things that offend you, those sinful things. And guess what's happened? <laughs> you failed repeatedly constantly and God has just been patient with you and let you make your mistakes and been there when you've kind of got things wrong and helped you out and the dad is showing this to his son he's giving his son patience he's being kind of you know you know long-suffering with him and even if you think about our salvation story our salvation story God has been patient with us as a people from the very beginning he set a plan in motion that has taken centuries to work out until it came in the fullness of time with his son, Jesus. And then he's taken, think about your life when you made a commitment, all the things you did before then, that God was patient with you, wanting you to become, come to know him, wanting you to repent of your sins, wanting you to turn to him, wanting you to have a relationship with. And he has just poured out patience after day after day with you. When we've fallen and made mistakes, he's, he's been there to help us and if I think about my children, I have to, when you've got small children in the house, one of the attributes I thought, you know, there's lots of things I thought as a, becoming a dad that I'd grow and I'd grow in and love and caring for one. But one of the ones I found myself growing in most, and I've still got a long way to go, is patience with them. Because when you're trying to train a child, which the Bible says we should train our children, boy, is that hard work. Can I identify with that, little kids? It's really hard trying to train. We try to train our boys in things like, you know, saying please and thank you after stuff. Oh my goodness, you keep having to remind them, keep having to remind them how many times do I have to tell you you say thank you when someone gives you something or you say please before you ask something? What about just eating habits? Trying to teach them to eat and, and sit at the table and use the cutlery and not shove it up your nose or at your brother or throw it or or get down. I mean, Levi's a great one. He's, his one, he always needs to loo three times during dinner just because he gets to wander around when he does that. But he's just saying, I just, and I'm like, no, we just sit, and at dinner we, we eat, and we talk to one another. We ask one another how our day's gone, and we, we you know, we connect as a family, and just, it can be so frustrating. Potty training. <laughs> uh, the patience required just to push that one through. Oh. So that's just, enough. I'll just leave it there. But even things like teaching your children to share and take turns and actually, well, look, you've had a go. Let this other person have a go too, and just kind of all that sort of stuff. Asher's learning to talk, and one of his favorite ones is mine, and my turn. You think of all the le- words you learn first. My turn is one of them, and everything, my turn. And he can be quite like, and you're like, oh, I don't think it's your turn anymore, Ash. I mean, it's my turn. And I'm like, okay, buddy, we need to kind of have a chat, and we're working through that. But you need patience to work through, and God is patient with us. The best dad ever is patient with us. So, next thing the best dad ever provides. We take the story on. The son goes away with his money, which is a provision, provision anyway, but then he, he, he messes it all up by squandering it, it says on reckless living, this kind of broad term. We find later the older brother says he's been with prostitutes. you know, he's been doing all sorts of stuff. You think, oh, what's he been spending his money on? But he's basically all frittered away and he finds himself at the lowest of the low he has to hire himself to one of the, the citizens of this other country. He's now, you know, he's been hanging around and he's now got to, got to get a, get a job because all his money's gone. And the job he gets given, he's got to feed the pigs. And to, to Jewish ears... Pigs were unclean animals, and so this kind of Jesus is telling a story as a Jew to Jewish listeners. And so the the idea is that this this son has kind of fallen to the absolute bottom rung. He's he's doing the worst possible thing he could do. You think whatever you think the worst job is, the lowest job, the most demeaning, shameful job, he's doing that. And he looks around himself and he and it's interesting his thought, he realized his 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 kind of predicament, but he, he, he thinks about to his, his dad's house. And what does he say? He says, well, actually, my dad's servants, so the ones who serve in my dad's house, who would have been the lowest ones under the family, because he would have been one of the sons, so he would have been kind of higher, had more, a higher position. So even the servants who serve us are better off than I am now. Are better off than I am now. My dad not only provided for me and my brother, he provides for those kind of honorers who are serving. He makes sure they're looked after as well. This is a dad who provides. And the son suddenly has this kind of thing like light bulb moment. Oh my goodness, even my dad's servants are better off than me right now. And I've, I've messed up all the stuff he gave me as a son, but even the servants are better off. And the best dad ever is a provider. Even one of God's names in the Bible is God the provider, Jehovah Jireh. He is the one who provides. And, he, and um The story where that name comes out is in Genesis 22 where um, Abraham and Isaac going up for the sacrifice and Abraham says to Isaac don't worry, God will provide the sacrifice and we have the ram caught in the thicket and the ram then becomes the sacrifice in the place of Isaac and God is the one who provides. And we can look at this on kind of two levels. God provides for everything that we have in our life now. Just think about what you've done even this morning since you woke up. God has provided everything you've got he provided you the breath in your body to keep you safe through the night, just sleeping. <gasps> Look at that. Whatever you had for breakfast this morning, whatever gifts you received from your family, if you're on Father's Day and you got something, God ultimately provided that. You might think, well, actually, my money provided that. I said, yeah, but actually, God empowers you to get wealth, it says. He's the one who gave you the abilities to work and earn money. The home that you live in, the car that you got, came here in, or if you walked, even your legs God provides all that, God is the one who provides. Every possible thing that we have in our life is ultimately a gift from God. But even if you take it out of, kind of just a very sort of temporal, immediate level, if we think about why we're here in this church, worshiping God today, why are we here? Because God provided a way. We sang about it, didn't we? There was no way, there was no way. The, the, the way to man and God was broken, it was separated by our sin, our rebellion. God made a way. He made a way. He provided. He provided himself. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose again. The temple curtain tore in two. He said, It's finished. You can now come to me. You can now come to me. And so God provides a way, a way for us to come to know that He is the provider. What's the next thing? The best dad ever is compassionate. So the son suddenly comes to this sort of like realisation, even my father's servants are better off than me. I'm going to go back and I'm going to just say, why don't you treat me like one of those servants? My role as a son, what I've done has kind of just been terrible behaviour. Maybe if you just let me treat me like a servant, then at least I'll have something to eat. I'll even have a job. I'll at least be able to do something and I won't starve to death, which is what's happening now. And it says he returns home, and it must have been a disgraceful journey for him, kind of realizing the shame of what he's done. And then it says, it says the father saw him from a distance. So was the father watching? Was he on the kind of top of the house seeing him? Was he kind of, you could see him down the road, down the hill? I don't know. But he can see him coming and he recognized him. This is my son returning. And what does the father do? It says he, he ran towards his son. He ran towards his son. And for for most people, the idea of running is probably not a good thing. Running, <laughs> but you run when you're you know you're late for the bus or there's some guy chasing you with a knife. You know, not many people run, and particularly in this society, in Jewish society, men, dignified men, they don't run anywhere. That just that wasn't what it is. You think about some of the people we see in our society who are kind of who are kind of important on, on ceremonial occasions. You would never see Her Majesty the Queen running anywhere. It just, it just wouldn't happen. It's just not dignified. You don't do that. But this dad, he ran. He was overwhelmed with compassion because he saw his son returning. And that kind of overcame any dignity, any social kind of taboos. He just said, I'm going to see my son. And so he ran down the road towards him. What do you say? He said he grabbed him. He cuddled him. He embraced him. He, he chose in that moment to overlook the horrible thing his son had done. The horrible thing was, that, Dad, I wish you're dead. I'm taking the money that's due me. And then he'd gone off and he just wasted it in stupid decisions that he'd done. And he, he came and he showed his son compassion. Compassion be defined as the response to suffering and plight of others. It's a merciful action. And he, saw, he sees his son coming back kind of with nothing. And he just runs because he loves his son and he wants to kind of just bring him into it and he as a dad had every right to bring judgment on his son because his son had messed up totally his son was guilty there was no question about his behavior it was totally wrong Um, but he killed his son coming and that compassion overtook him and he loved him and he went and he grabbed him and he gave him a hug it's this in James 2 13 that mercy triumphs over judgment the mercy of God triumphed over the judgment and the Father just demonstrated by just grabbing his son and welcoming him back, showing him compassion. Now the son we know did repent, he actually he had that kind of sorted in his heart, but actually what, what kind of preceded it from the point of view of the Father was his compassion. He ran to him, he grabbed him, he loved him, he picked him up. And that's just how God treats us, that's how God treats us. We were lost in our sin, it says. We were dead. We were far from him. We were enemies of him. This is the way the Bible describes us as people before we met Jesus. We were, we were rightly under his judgment. We were rightly under his judgment. And what did God, how did God treat us? It says he sent his son to die for us. He sent his die, died in our place. He took the judgment that we deserved, so we receive grace and mercy. And that is just an incredible thing, the compassion of God on his people through Christ. And so we get to kind of enter into that as believers when we make our decisions to follow Jesus, when we repent of our sins, when we turn away, we receive that forgiveness. But then it doesn't just stop there. The compassion of God follows us all the days of our lives, doesn't it? All the days of our lives. It says, um, it says, Lamentations, and it says, his mercies are new every morning every day we get a new set of mercies from God his loving kindness and his grace and compassion will follow us all the days of our life so I don't know what your week's been like I don't even know what this morning's been like because we can things can go wrong even in a morning before church Has everyone done that oh yeah we've had things go wrong in the morning even when we're coming to church to worship and things go belly up at home but God's compassion is there. His grace is there for us. And so whatever you're facing today, whatever you've faced over the last week, the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God is for you. He loves you. He wants to know you. wants to be with you. Think back over your life when God's mercies have followed you, things, you, situations you've found yourself in, places he's taken you, things he's taught you, things you've seen. It's all the compassion and the love of God towards you. And the fourth thing, it says the best dad ever restores so we've got the son here. He's been kind of hugged up by his father. His father is overjoyed to see him and he's probably thinking, this is good. <laughs> he's not yelling at me yet. I've got this love this father. But then what does the father do? Because even if, if it stopped at that point, I would say big thumbs up to the dad, how he's reacted really towards his son. He could have just stopped there and I think the dad would have been on a winner and we'd have thought that's a good dad, the way he's kind of treated his son in there. But actually it says he restored him it says, it says oh, here's my son, and he, he starts yelling. He didn't even talk to his son, interestingly. He starts yelling at the servants who are there. He says, go get his robe. Go get the robe. Go get the sandals. He's obviously not wearing anything. Get the sandals on his feet. Get the ring. Put it on his finger. The, the robe and the sandals would show um, his position, as the son in the house, he was one of two sons, so he'd have shown his position. I'm one the sons of the house. The ring that would have gone on his finger would have shown his authority as the son. The signet ring, which would have had the seal of the house. So he's kind of, he's, a, he's being restored to his position as one of the sons of the father in the house. Now they'd have been kind of under dad, they would have been the ones in charge running the show. And he gets his son and he restores him and he puts him back to where he was at the beginning. He's now suddenly returned to the beginning of the story where he was the son of his father and he could go and talk to his dad and he's now suddenly restored and he is back to there. And then there's a great celebration. The one person I really feel sorry for in this story is the fattened calf because the son comes home and the first, the first thing is, kill it. Let's cook it. And the cool calf's like, oh. But anyway, so the, the calf gets killed and there's a celebration. And I don't know how you reflect about your relationship with God, but that's exactly what he's done to us. If we think about the big story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, we start at the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden with God. Perfect relationship. It said God walked with them in the garden. They, they knew him face to face and everything was good. In fact, it was very good. And there's a relationship but then when you get to kind of Genesis chapter 3 it all goes wrong with the serpent tempting them and they sin and they rebel and they want to be in charge and everything is broken at that point point. and the rest of kind of the story of the Bible is God's desire to restore his relationship with man he wants a people for himself he wants to be in relationship he wants to get back what was there and we, have, we follow the story through and he comes to Abraham and he says I'm going to bless you and the nations, we've got the Joseph which we're studying as well at the moment and you come through in the presence of God with his people in the tabernacle and they come out of Egypt and in the temple and then he said one's going to come, I'm going to be with you and God himself is going to come so Jesus comes, he says I've made a way and then the Spirit comes on the church so I'm going to be with you and then we go to the end of the story and what do we have? We have a multitude before the throne and they're worshipping Jesus and they'll be with him forever. And right at the end of the story, Revelation 21, you see this city coming down it? and it's the people of God will be with him forever. And it's like, I've restored what was lost and I've made it back. And that's what God's done with us. He restores us. As we become Christians, we're restored into that relationship. Two kind of Bible words. We have justification, which means we've declared not guilty before God. He's dealt with our sin on the cross, which in one sense would have been enough because we're now not under judgment. But God says, I'm going to add to that. And another word, the important word is adoption. We've been brought into a family. We've been brought into a relationship. We have a father in heaven. It's not just a a kind of a a forensic clinical thing, not guilty. It's actually now I'm your dad. I'm your father. I love you and I'm for you. And that is what God has done with us. He has taken that and he's, he's built that relationship. And if you've got um, people you know or kids, trying to teach them about how to amend and restore a relationship is an important one. And it's a key thing that we're to do. I've got our two boys. One of the things uh, that we have to do is um, when they kind of do things wrong, which seems to happen quite a lot, um, we we give them time out and they have to sit on the bottom step and think about what they've done and, and they have a timeout and considering it's it's a really innocuous kind of punishment, they hate it, oh dear, the fuss about when it's going on timeout, even Asher, he understands it, no timeout, no timeout, you know, and he said, no, you've got to go and timeout, you've got to go and think about it, but the one thing I love about timeout is what happens at the end, so you give them a bit of timeout and they have to think about it and you talk about what you've done and da, 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 da. And, and then at the end you have to restore the relationship, so you get kisses and colours at the end, they say, sorry, you work it out and you get get that kind of let's hug this out at the end and one of my favorite times in my in boy's life is when Levi was about kind of three and Ash was about one and Ash was watching us discipline Levi um, and so you've got to sit on this and he liked the idea of this so he would go and sit with Levi I don't know if it was an act of solidarity or what but he would be like Levi you've got to sit on time out you know you've got to be there for a few minutes to think about what you've done Ash would just go and sit with him and then, because Levi was usually really quite upset about this, Ash would then do a fake cry, like, <laughs> you know, he'd literally do that and fake cry with his brother. And then when I come and talk to Levi, I say, let's work out what happened. Ash would be like, I want a cuddle. I want, I want this. Give me this at the end. So he'd get a kiss and the cuddle from Ash at the end. And then Ash would then go and put himself on timeout. He would suddenly do something. I'd say, Ash, don't do that. And he'd just march around to sit on timeout. And he'd be like, right, I'm on timeout, and I'd go and kind of see him. And he'd be like, <laughs> you know, he'd do that. <laughs> And he'd want the kiss and the cuddle at the end. And that was. It. And we got to a point where we were like, let's find reasons to put Asher on time out. Because you get the cuddles out at the end. And that's really good. And he just loves that. And he loves cuddles. And it's almost like, I'm now finding reasons. Just do something wrong, buddy. And you're, just, you're going out there. But it was the restoring of the relationship and that connection. When things go wrong, you actually restore and you connect the relationship. And that's what God has done with us. The last thing. The last thing. The best dad ever pleads. Okay, we get, we kind of, a lot of us in our minds when I was growing up and we have the story of the prodigal son, it sort of ends at this point. The son has been welcomed back, he's been restored, it's celebrating, the father's been gracious and compassionate, the son has kind of repented and realised what's going on. But then actually there's an extra bit, and the extra bit is the older son, who's been there the whole time, and he hasn't gone off and done what he's done, he's been working faithfully with his father, and he, he kind of comes across the scene, and he sees what's happening, and his reaction is negative. He actually fails to show the attributes of the father, The, the one, the, what his father's showing. He's not showing. He, he shows self-righteousness and a legalistic attitude towards his brother. It's actually, look, he's just gone away and done all this stuff. And now he's come back, and look how you're treating him. And he's kind of like a bit, mm, uh, with this. And what did his father do? His father comes out, and in my Bible it says, he uses the word entreat, but the other is it, he pleads and he begs with his son, and he basically says, don't act like this. Make a good choice. Your son was, your brother was dead. He's now alive. We've got him back. This is a time to celebrate don't act like this. The path you're going down, this legalistic, self-righteous attitude, is going to lead you kind of away. It's going to cause bitterness in your life. It's going to lead you away from me as the Father, the one who's compassionate and provides and loves you. And actually, if we get to the end of the story, the tragic thing with the brother is what? He's still outside. He doesn't go in. We don't know. Just Jesus in telling me just ends there. The brother is almost like... That's it. Your legalistic, self-righteous attitude is it just it excludes you from joyful celebration and what kind of has been happening in this situation. And the father is begging with him, make the right choice, make the right decision, and he's kind of trying to trying to get him to come this way. And the reality that's what that's what God does with us. God is God is begging us, pleading us, make the right decisions. Make the right choices. Ultimately, it's a choice of following him. Jesus said, come, follow me. I want you to follow me. He kept proclaiming the message. The kingdom of God is here. How are you going to respond to this message? We as believers now, we have the Bible, God's written word, where he's constantly talking to us and telling us how to live our life. We've received the Holy Spirit in us, God in us to lead us and guide us. So it pricks our conscience and guides us in ways. We have others in the church around us who stand with us, who can give us advice and godly wisdom and counsel. And, and, and constantly God is saying, live like this. Don't go there. Do this. The reason I don't want you to go there is because that will ultimately damage you. That will hurt you. That will destroy you. When we talk about, you know, in church, you talk about sin a lot. But the reason we talk about sin is because ultimately it's bad for you. God says, "I want you to live this way," not because I'm a killjoy, but this ultimately is for your good. It's ultimately the best for you. It's the ultimate way to kind of get the most out of your life. To do that, and I know with my boys, in trying to train them, and it's you get this interesting perspective when you have small kids. I'm saying, "Don't do this because it will damage you. Don't eat that." You know, don't go near there. Don't throw that at your brother like, because ultimately you're going to cause harm to yourself or to someone else which will ultimately come back on you. And actually it's like, don't live like that. And that's the way God is speaking to us. Don't live like that. He pleads with us to do the right thing. And as believers here today, if you're a believer, you have the best dad ever. That is good news. Whatever your earthly experience of a dad was, good, bad, so, so, your father in heaven loves you and he is the best dad ever. If you're not a believer here today and you think, I don't know, I'd love to introduce you to this dad who loves you and wants to get to know you, come and talk to me at the end. It will be my privilege to tell you more about him. But the opportunity is there to come to know him, to get to know him and, and have that best dad ever relationship with you. But I'd love to just end by praying for some of the guys here. So if you're a guy, can you stand up, please? I'd just love to pray with you because I want to pray for you that you have this relationship with your Father in heaven. But as well as having that relationship with him, ultimately that's what we're called to be like. That's who we're meant to model, our Father and if you look at, think about your earthly father, if you knew them, there are things in their life that you can see in your life. Some good, maybe some not so good. But we kind of, we naturally follow our dads. We naturally kind of live like that. We look like that. There's things I've said. I remember when I was growing up and I used to answer the phone back in the day when you only had phones. And the amount of times I picked up the phone and said hello and our phone number where we live. And the voice on the other end of the phone said hello Mike. <laughs> it's my father. It's like, uh, no, number two son. Sorry, but I I even sound like him. You know, you act like him, you sound like him. You you resemble your father. But we're actually called to resemble our father in heaven, most of all. And these things we looked at today about the the father in the story, these are things that should be reflected in our lives as men of God. That ultimately when people look at you, you may look like your earthly father or sound like your earthly father, but actually we reflect our father in heaven. So I'm just going to pray. And maybe if you're sitting around, ladies, can you stretch out your hands and pray for these guys? Holy Spirit of God, we ask, no, Lord, I want to start by saying thank you that you're the best dad ever. You're the best dad ever to all of us, regardless of our gender, Lord, and I thank you that you came, Jesus, you made a way that we can have a relationship with you, that we can know you as father, that we can relate to you, we can have that intimacy with you, regardless of what our earthly father acts like life, we can know you and have a relationship with the best dad ever. And Lord, I ask you as followers of Jesus today, God, that we would resemble you to those around us, to those we know in church, to those we know um, outside it, to our wives, if we have them, to our children, to our friends, to those who kind of we just come into contact. Lord God, I ask by your grace you'd make us patient men, that we would be known for our long-suffering towards others. Lord God, I pray that you would cause us to be men who provide. Provide for ourselves, provide for our families, provide in a way that we have enough to give away, to share what we have. Lord, I thank you for all the beautiful gifts you give us. Lord God, I pray that we would be men who are, who are kind of shot through with compassion. It's not a particularly manly trait, is it? Compassion, mercy, grace. Lord God, may us be compassionate men, compassionate on those who are hurting, compassionate on those who are suffering, compassionate on those who are younger than us, who know, don't, maybe don't know as much as us. Lord God, let us be compassionate men who follow you. God, let us be men who restore. We restore relationships where they're broken. We seek peace where we can, when it depends on us. Lord God, we, we seek to kind of mend what is broken and not be the cause of breaking more things. Uh, Lord God, And let us be men who plead with one another to do what's right, to urge one another to do what's right, to correct one another when we think we're going off-beam. That we actually follow you closely, follow your word, and call one another to repentance and faith in you. And God's people said, Thanks. Amen. Amen. Do you all want to stand? The band, you want to come back? We're going to worship Jesus together. And I think the kids will probably come back and join us at some point. You are the way.